Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 386. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service, FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest fintech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the 10 most important fintech stories into your inbox every morning. And we have special editions for Latin America as well as UK and Europe. Stay on top of fintech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Chris Sai. He is the CEO and co-founder of Resolve. Now, Resolve's a super interesting company. They are in the B2B payment space, and they've sometimes been referred to as a business BNPL, but I think that doesn't really describe the complete picture of what they do. They really are more of a credit management solution for B2B, which we get into in, in obviously in some depth in the show. It's quite an extensive suite of products they offer. And uh, we talk about that. We talk about you know, the founding story and the involvement of Max Levchin and how that all kind of really helped set the the company on its way. You know, we talk about the underwriting piece because that's critical and that's something that is not uh, an expertise of, of most businesses. And so getting expertise there is really helpful. We talk about the economic cycle and how things are changing. We talk about buyer journeys and much more. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Peter. Good to be here. Okay, good to have you. So let's kick it off by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Tell us sort of your career journey before you got to Resolve. The thing that people notice fairly quickly about me is my relationship with Max Levchin, the co-founder uh, of Firm. He had invested in my last business, which was a pre-order and payments e-commerce platform called Celery. In fact, I remember very clearly we met at the Y Combinator demo day of 2012, the winter batch. And we basically had, at that time, been aware that Max had started his company at the time, which would become a firm, but it was named prior to that interaction as this very awful name, expedite.cc. Thankfully, they, they changed the name fairly quickly. <laughs> And he was looking um, at the time already to experiment with ways to test the idea of a loan and a checkout. And so we had already built a an e-commerce platform with a checkout. And so the interesting way that my relationship with him started, first as an angel investor, then quickly thereafter, um, after he had invested, he, he had his head of product at a firm reach out to us and say, hey, look, it's not obvious to us that this is going to work, but we definitely want early adopters. And Chris and his team seem to have a number of consumer-facing merchants that might be open to trying a loan and a checkout. Let's try to strike a product partnership with them. So I remember very distinctly, we, we ended up agreeing to, since we did a survey of our merchant users at the time, hey, how many of you want to try this idea of growing with offering a split payments installment 
loan in checkout so that the more expensive items you're offering can in fact become more affordable. And most of them said yes. So we ended up becoming the first e-commerce platform to offer a firm as a payment method. Hmm. And all the promises of what everyone now knows to be true of buy now, pay later came true very rapidly. We, we started seeing 20, 30, 40% lift in e-commerce sales fairly quickly. And the aha moment that eventually became resolved was as the Affirm button was really working for these consumer merchants, a very large portion of them had a business, commercial, or wholesale component of their business, which right. they said, I love Affirm and what it's doing for that business. Where is the equivalent of Affirm for B2B? Because I would love to use that. So we ended up bookmarking that thought. For the future, we ended up selling our business eventually to Indiegogo, this crowdfunding platform. Mm -hmm. And in the intervening time when my co-founder and I were thinking about what next venture to build, when we catch up with Max and we're reviewing all the the things that we had discussed early days in in future, we mentioned the idea of a B2B firm. And the answer he immediately came to was, well, that would be an amazing sister spin-out company. We don't have any plans to do anything B2B related for decades or more, given how long the <laughs> consumer roadmap is for our business. But we can return you the favor since what happened is about a, two or three dozen merchants ended up using a firm as a result of our partnership. So he felt like he could send us the equivalent back as we were starting the idea that would become Resolve. And anyway, that that's how we got started. My career, to answer your, your first question, is really around finance, startups, that background ended up leading to my first entrepreneurial journey, which was that last business pre-order payments and this very natural evolution to what now is resolved. So that's two answers in one. Right, right. Okay. So then I see it referred to that resolve was spun out of a firm. So does that mean that you spent the early days as you were sort of incubating this idea inside a firm? Like, were you kind of working in tandem with some of the firm people? How did it actually work? We did spend time inside the offices at a firm after we had sold that first business and we were thinking about building the next one. Max has a venture studio, which is called Hard Valuable Fun. This is his right. philosophy for startups. It has to be hard. It has to be valuable. It has to be fun to build this venture. So that venture studio was co-located inside a firm's offices. Mm-hmm. This spin-out effort was a unique situation where it wasn't just a new venture. It was very intimately connected to the Affirm concept. So the incubation and spin-out process was through the startup venture studio HVF. But what we ended up doing was because of how much business was being referred to us when we launched the the entity itself, Affirm participated in the funding of that venture. So that's that's how we think about the concept of the spin-out. So the employees that were working with us as part of that original partnership that we had done at the last company, they were still around. Many of them were really excited to see the effort that they had, the relationships, the business that we had referred to them then become sort of this reverse benefit to them as they invested in this business that would spin out from a firm. Right. So like, is Max an advisor to your firm or what's your relationship with him now? He's still closely connected to what we do at Resolve. We definitely catch up with him regularly. He is part of the Resolve founding effort, if you will. And so that from from that point of view and from uh, 
their ownership stake in resolve, there's there's still a very close founding and advisory relationship. Right, right. Okay. So let's move on to what you guys do exactly. And obviously you've prefaced it a little bit, but how do you explain exactly what Resolve does? Yeah. So if you look at the B2B transaction surface area that's possible between a business seller and a business buyer, the majority of the work centers around this invoicing process, right? So we tend to think of, and and the original insight really from the time we spent looking at what the pain points were for business sellers and business buyers, invoices and in particular net 30, that 30, 60, sometimes 90 days you're waiting to get paid by your own business buyer forces you to be a bank if you're that seller to your own buyer, right? So there's at least four different steps that you have to contend with versus the credit checking step where you have to underwrite and approve your buyers for a credit limit of some sort. The second step is enrolling that buyer into a net terms program where they have now credit to make purchases from you. The third step would be the collecting the payment, sometimes having to chase payments that are slow or delinquent. And then lastly, the step would be taking those payments, processing them. And in many cases, if there's partial payments, reconciling them into a ledger. So the end-to-end workflow of a business transaction via net 30 invoice or doesn't have to be net 30 necessarily, we provide all four of those steps. So a seller, we work with a number of manufacturers, for example, they will put just, you can think about what a firm does for a consumer seller. They'll work with the merchant. So we'll work with the business merchant. They will offer net 30 as a payment method and Resolve will power that by enabling all four steps I just mentioned uh, so that that's a much more smooth, digital and seamless process than Otherwise, if they were trying to handle that ad hoc or manually themselves, right, right. I know it's it's interesting when you have because I've been a small business owner my my whole career, and you're providing credit to people, and you're not a credit expert. The average small business owner knows nothing about what to look for when offering credit. So, so what you're saying is you take over that whole process. So, like, are you making underwriting decisions as well, or how does it? What are you actually providing? Exactly right. What we find is many business business owners, sales leaders, e-commerce leaders, et cetera, there's a established way to think about offering credit as part of a B2B transaction. But for the most part, as you pointed out, even your own experience, these are fairly ad hoc decisions, right? You're sort of sizing up the relationship. You're saying, uh, I trust Tom, who's been buying for me for years now, and he's needing 30 or 45 days to pay back. And he wants $32,000 for that credit. I think he's good for it. Or maybe you'll run a Dun & Bradstreet report just to double check, but there's no formal process for the yeah. most part, or it's mm-hmm. very, very ad hoc. So yeah, we, we come in and we have a mechanism by which we can actually perform that credit check on behalf of you and that buyer relationship. And there's a number of things we can get into around what signals both credit and underwriting wise that we look at to make sure that that transaction is de-risked so that there is real data behind that decision as opposed to more of a gut or visceral decision that's based on intuition. But that's just the starting point, right? So in many B2B businesses, they might have a PDF credit application that you have to fax in with credit references. So all of that archaic process, we can replace digitally with our process. Interesting. Really interesting. So 
we were chatting before we hit record about buy now, pay later, and it's been hot, obviously, for the last uh, several years and remains hot. Consumers love this product, and it hasn't been as hot in the business space. It seems to be changing, but maybe you can sort of give your perspective. You know, obviously, you know a firm well. They're obviously very consumer-based. How is BNPL for business different to consumer? This is a question we get quite often. The business version of buy now, pay later, there's obviously a pretty substantial difference because it's based on the invoice transaction, not necessarily. Uh, and, and because there's two business entities, right? there's generally a lot more complexity between the process to process an invoice transaction. In fact, the, the simplest, pithiest way I've heard it put is if a consumer transaction is like a tweet, then a B2B transaction is more akin to passing a bill to Congress. And so <laughs> I think, you, you know, you think about the accounts receivable process where you're offering all the four steps I mentioned, right? Credit check all the way through the ledgering that into your reconciled entries in that accounting ledger. And then all the stuff that has to happen on the buyer side, there's accounts payable controls too, to make sure that they right. can in fact cut the check, write the ACH wire or whatever. And so the thing that's really, really critical in when we think about business versus consumer buy now, pay later, if in some ways you can think of a firm and others, what they're really doing is smoothing the cash flow for the consumer purchase. Yep. In business buy now, pay later, you have to attend to both the workflow and the cash flow. In fact, if you don't do both, you're only addressing half of the equation, right? right. So there's a number of AR or AP software platforms that argue that they can support this complexity. And there's others that are purely focused on the cash flow, maybe with a lending product or whatnot. But really what we found is critical is marrying the workflow and the cash flow solutions together in an end-to-end platform, right, for B2B payments. That's that's how you properly solve B2B buy now, pay later, at least from our point of view. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I like the way you framed that. So then, you know, are you sort of focused on any particular industries specifically? Maybe you can just give us a little bit of a profile of the typical Resolve customer. So we work with a number of B2B merchants spanning a great number of industries, but I'll give you two examples. One is a bike manufacturer. And during COVID, you can imagine anything outdoor sports related was really taking off. In fact, Mm -hmm. there was tons and tons of demand. You've probably seen some news around supply chain snarls that would prevent inventory from arriving on time. So the bike industry in particular was one where we work with this one manufacturer in particular. It's a great example of what we can do. So Turn Bikes, they are an e-bikes manufacturer that, that sells their inventory to a number of retail bike chains. So the bike chains were desperately looking for more SKUs to have in their showrooms because people were looking to purchase. But they, because of their, you know, they're a growing brand, they're competing with the likes of specialized bikes and other larger incumbents that those incumbents can offer credit terms of reasonable sizes to just about anyone. But Turn Bikes mm-hmm. at the time was only really offering terms to their best, maybe 5% of their business customers. Hmm. So when they started working with Resolve, they could expand the base of business customers they could underwrite and offer credit limits to, and the order sizes that they wanted to offer, especially those larger inventory purchases, were able to expand. So the classic buy now, pay later concept of once you provide buy now, pay later in your, whether it's checkout or in the business situation that we're in here, traditional sales process, 
now these retail bike stores can purchase much more inventory much more quickly to supply that demand that they have from their consumers that are showing up to the bike stores to purchase these e-bikes. So that's one example. Um, another example would be we work with a number of e-commerce or B2B marketplace-oriented sellers. So in the medical supply space, there's a group called DocShop Pro that offers medical supplies online to doctor's offices. And they were really looking for a way to streamline their B2B checkout processes. Uh, oftentimes, doctor's offices are doing phone or fax wanted to streamline that purchase process. So they plugged in Resolve into their e-commerce workflow and were able to basically drive all of their payments from this more manual. They were testing this e-commerce checkout for net terms and other payments. We were able to come in and digitize that process for them and take a manual marketplace dynamic and make it fully e-commerce oriented. Those are two examples. You can, you can see the benefits from, as I was mentioning before, the cash flow benefits of being able to do better underwriting and offering credit at checkout and also in streamlining processes that were manual, making them digital. Right. So just to follow up on that, it's, it's usually a firm analogy. Again, you go onto a website, you can see like pay with a firm and that's a button. It sounds like what you're talking about with Resolve is not really a button, although there may be a button at some point, but it's really an entire process because you said like there's a sales process that is a lengthy thing. It's not just here, how am I button on a website? It's almost like from what you're saying is like, help me power my procurement and purchasing process. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that, that's very close to how our business sellers and buyers already think about it. But what they're finding, and this is the important bit you're keying in on, is if you only provide a button, which to be fair, in the beginning, Resolve was really just a net 30 button inside mm -hmm. of invoice, right? So what we quickly learned inside of firm and as we spun out was that is only solving part of the problem right? because there are banks or, or financial institutions that can finance invoices for you. That's, that's fine and that exists today. And in fact, what it often does if you only do that is it provides a pretty negative or terrible experience both for the seller and the buyer. Because mm -hmm. it's maybe recourse to the seller or the buyers might wonder, why does the seller need to finance my invoice? Are they in some sort of financial weak position or something? So all of that basically goes away if you now are the billing system that provides a more st streamlined process that makes, again, that accounts receivable, paper pushing process, more akin to like a Congress passing an act, or, or even the accounts payable process more streamlined. So if you can, in, we, we've tended to talk about ourselves as a embedded payment platform because you can right. embed various components of these more archaic or manual processes into a digital format, or it can even be a manual process, but it's digitized, at least from an operational point of view. And that actually produces the same effect as the buy now, pay later that the consumers know and love from a firm and others, uh, but in this B2B purchasing context, which tends to be more complex. Right. That's really interesting. It seems like underwriting is a really key piece here because that's technology and processes and knowledge that's really sought after. What's your underwriting engine like? Can you describe that? It's really important that we do this well on behalf of our sellers, right? Because they are looking to us as credit experts and credit partners to make good decisions on behalf of 
their buyers who they mm-hmm. you know hold as sacrosanct really right they don't want anything to come in between them and their their own customers so the one of the most important things we do is when we integrate into their workflow is we can do things like check the existing payment history between the seller and the buyer as a form of credit signal if for example acme company as your buyer has been paying you on time for the last 10 years very likely they're going to continue paying you on time right so and then interpreting that properly with the number of proprietary models along with the other credit signals that will pick up there is still if you're for example interacting with a net new buyer that you have not sold to before a way that we can pull signals from the credit bureaus from other public sources of information that a credit expert and a credit modeling team that we have in house has interpreted into a yes or no decision and a credit limit amount that we can surface to you as you're making the decision on what whether you want to give net 30 terms for example up to $50,000 of the credit limit to that buyer whether it's the existing or a new one so all, long story short we've built a credit underwriting engine built off all the call it best practices in fintech that are well established but we're really applying it very very importantly to the existing relational nature of b2b purchases right so not only are b2b purchases heavily workflow oriented they tend to be built on long-standing relationships so we take both of those things into account so that's what i was interested then so you might recommend there might be a customer they've been doing business with for a while but unbeknownst to them they're having some financial difficulty or whatever but you know you're coming in and saying hang on this person doesn't deserve a fifty thousand dollar credit limit we think it should only be 10. Is that something, obviously, they can override it, right? They can say, screw you, this relationship is so important, I'm going to keep doing what we're doing. Can you describe that sort of interplay with relationship knowledge that they have that you, obviously, it's harder to sort of automate that, right? Yeah, no, that's right. In fact, this is where there's a really deep partnership between the merchant sellers and Resolve Platform or, or their folks that are powering or that relationship on their behalf. So what they'll see is our platform can get insights they may not be able to themselves from a data point of view. Mm-hmm. And they may have some relationship insight or preference to offer more credit limit than say we might. That happens on occasion. And but what we typically find is that they'll see the data and be like, ah, you guys can see something I can't. I will tend to be more cautious if I see the resolve decision saying suggesting something less than I normally would be. And they they use it to check their intuition. In the case where they're, for example, like you said, insisting that they do more, they will oftentimes take that transaction and complete it. And there's ways for us to support, you know, even if we've said 50K transaction, they want to do a 60K, 60 or larger K invoice, they can d- default to their gut, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. But that's generally more rare. But the, the main point is there's often a pairing of the data and that relationship insight. And often, if it becomes you know larger size, sometimes we'll see transactions in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, or in some cases even millions. There's a conversation that happens between their team and ours to make sure that that relationship is preserved. The transaction happens, and it's done as in as risk smart way as possible. Right, right. So then, are you like more of a SaaS platform? Then are you taking a percentage of each transaction, kind of like the traditional BNPL? What's the sort of your business model? We are a workflow platform in addition to a payments platform. So there mm-hmm. is a, a way that we work with our customers where they're paying us a monthly platform fee to use all the tools that supply that end-to-end workflow that I just described earlier. There also is a payments tra- or transaction fee 
which uh, basically get at the idea of if you're offering net 30 or net 60, there's a cost associated with that, just like you would be paying a fee to a credit card processor, for example. So there's both. We monetize through a platform fee and a a transaction fee. One of the reasons why BMPL is so popular for consumers is the merchants love it because suddenly they offer this and they have a 30% bump in revenue. And so that's a real selling point for the merchants for BNPL. Is is there a similar thing in play for Resolve customers or how would you approach that? So in many cases, what we're finding is either the merchant hasn't offered terms before, so they get terms at all, that's a net new benefit. Or if they have, sometimes it's net 15 or something somewhat short or net 30 is the standard. And with Resolve, they can offer something like a net 60. So extra time to pay is always a net benefit to the buyer. The other is if it's been fairly manual in the past where they have to, as I mentioned before, pay through an ACH or wire or credit card through a more delayed process where it might take weeks to get a credit decision or they have to work with one individual on accounts receivable team that's subscale. They now have a number of digital payment options that's available to them through this digital process we've enabled. So the the payment options become much more seamless and they tend to be able to be longer than they were before. And as I mentioned, oftentimes they can pay more because the credit limits tend to be higher as well. So all those and more tend to be buyer benefits. A lot of companies will offer credit cards, right? So how do you interface with sort of the payments processing side of things? Or is this really a, a totally separate kind of funnel for your clients when they're putting on their, their checkout? There is, there is, yeah. In, in fact, the way they think about it is because they tend to like the interface we've provided and invoicing is the more primary flow than say a, a credit card swipe or a credit card button on an invoice, then we will, generally speaking, offer credit card processing as part of the interface Okay, as part of their invoicing experience now with Resolve in this total B2B transaction support, right? So yeah, credit cards at the end of the 30 days, if you want to make a credit card payment, you can also do so. Right. Gotcha. Moving on here, I want to get your sense on uh, how you're approaching the current economic climate. There's just in the last uh, couple of weeks, we've seen a lot more talk about recession. Interest rates are going to keep rising. How are you approaching that? Particularly, I'm interested in the underwriting side of things. Are you changing anything given where we are in the economic cycle? Yeah, as I mentioned before, underwriting is one component of what we do, but maybe only a fraction of it. But there, okay. there is a sense that for the merchants that and their buyers, everyone's aware of the risks of the recessionary environment. So they may prefer to be more risk off or risk on. And our credit decisioning engine allows them to be a lot more tailored in their approach, right? So they can, in some ways, set what they prefer, right? If they want to be more cautious and grow slower because they're nervous about repayment rates of their buyers that they work with, they can do so when we, we enable that for them. For our, our particular case, right, the, the signals and the data remain the same and the interpretive stance around how much credit decisioning, whether we give approvals higher or lower, th- those, those models have persisted over time. We have reams and reams of data uh, from our own experience and, and past that suggest what are good cutoffs for certain approvals or credit limits. Right. So I would say th- those hold true, but the attitude of our merchants, th- that can vary. And we are seeing, I would say, the uh, the merchants and the buyers that are a bit more nervous about it, they have on, on balance decided to uh, be a bit more cautious in this environment. And it makes sense. Yeah. 
from our point of view. That makes sense. So um, when I was researching you guys, I came across an article that you wrote fairly recently. You're talking about buyer journeys. Now, I can see that this is a really big piece about what you do at Resolve. So you were talking about like transforming buyer journeys. Where are B2B companies falling short here? Maybe the biggest secret we have, and maybe it's not so secretive if you're running your own B2B business, is the magic really is in the relationship. Mm-hmm. But the problem is most people assume if it's a relationship, it's manual and unscalable. But what we're finding is with increasingly more digital expectations from buyers, including B2B buyers, you can in fact scale this relationship dynamic of a B2B purchase if you do it the right way. And we, in, in our case, our our orientation is how do you properly scale the very important relationships in B2B purchasing digitally? And the way we've figured out how to do so is the answer is automation is not the only answer. Automation is part of the answer. And you have to couple human insights and human relationship components to make sure that B2B transactions scale. So to be super specific, as we started to talk about in the that credit limit example we, we went through, what we found is, right, if you have either an e-commerce checkout or if you have a B2B marketplace and you want to sight unseen, underwrite, or offer credit limits to your business buyers, that can work up to a certain point and mm-hmm. you can use credit algorithms to decide sight unseen. But when it comes to larger purchases, especially ones that are recurring, one of our core missions or values is growing transactions into relationships, right? So you might be able to do one-off purchases in B2B akin to how it's done in consumer, right? You buy a Casper mattress and then you're done for a few years. But we find in B2B, it's really important to nurture transactions, especially net terms transactions where there's a trust component or credit component built in. And then once the relationship is established with a credit or net terms first transaction, the opportunity to enhance or grow that relationship comes not only from the net terms platform that we provide and the payments, but you basically leaning into that relationship that started digitally and can become digital and human, if you will. Right. So right. that that to us is the idea of transforming the kind of obvious digital transformation, but in some ways the relational enhancement that comes from it. Right, right. So then how do you interface with the accounting platforms like the QuickBooks and NetSuites of the world? So we integrate across platforms and the number of the ones you mentioned we integrate with, that integration piece is incredibly important for both the underwriting and data connection, as I mentioned. And oftentimes these sellers and their buyers think of those platforms as the central nervous system for their business. So it's really critical that we integrate with those in addition to what you would expect, the e-commerce platforms and the other selling platforms that are popular within B2B. Okay, so then can you give us a sense of the scale you guys are at today? I'll start with something that is maybe a truism in B2B. B2B market is massively larger than the consumer market from a total addressable market or TAM point of view. So we've already been able to process an issue. We've issued billions of dollars of purchasing credit to tens of thousands of business buyers. Uh, We're growing significantly, especially despite uh, or maybe partly because of the environment macro we're in. There's certainly a lot of demand for what we do. There's obviously risk associated with it. So we have to be very smart and judicious about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the the thing we talk to Max about and we joke about is we are, you know, their sister spin-out company. So we might be the little sister today, but we our ambition is to be the little sister that grows up to tell their older brother what to do. What's your vision then? How are you going to do that? 
I think where we see payments going, buy now, pay later going in B2B is really around this embedded credit, embedded payment. So we, we ultimately want to be the embedded B2B payments platform that, as I mentioned earlier, that allows or helps grow these transactions into relationships. Because that, that's really, I think, at the core of what a B2B transaction is. It is a relationship. It's a trust-based transaction. And we want to make those B2B transactions as seamless as they are in consumer. And we think the future of payments in B2B will be more and more this way, more and more embedded, more and more trust, more and more relational. Okay. Well, Chris, it's really been fascinating learning more about Resolve. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Peter. Good to be with you. While a typical business, particularly if it's a medium-sized business, will have credit people on staff, they will have a credit management function. But you know, what really Resolve is doing is talking about, uh, what I love is this sort of taking some of these offline processes, some of these ad hoc decisions that get made and really professionalizing it and making it into a, a nice, neat package that you can integrate into whatever way you're running your business, whatever software package you're doing. And uh, I could see the benefits of running a package like this. They've already got some some decent track record, but yeah, there's not probably enough focus on this very important process, the whole buyer lifecycle from credit all the way through collections and what have you. So really impressed by what Chris and the team is doing there. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.